all ate as much as they wanted. Did you catch that part? They all ate as much as they wanted. I'm Steve Wallen, and I'm one of the elders here at Genesis Church, and um, welcome to Genesis. I'm glad you're here. And uh, I had the opportunity on Friday night uh, to take my family over to the Hamilton County Fair. How many of you have been to the Hamilton County Fair yet? So about a third of us, okay? And um, if you don't know, if you're not from around here, if, if this is new territory for you, the Hamilton County Fair is right across the street. And you may have noticed all the tents this morning. There's a lot of tents over there. And, and on Friday night, I don't know if you remember, but the weather was perfect. It was great fair weather. In fact, I've never seen people leaving a county fair because they got too cold. I don't think that's ever happened before in the history of county fairs in Indiana that people have said, man, it's so cold here. I think I'm going to go home. But that's what was happening. It was so cold at the county fair. But the thing about the Hamilton County Fair is it is, in my opinion, fairs as they were meant to be because there's, there's no midway. There's no rides and games. It's down to two things, animals and food, right? The food is why you go to the fair, isn't it? Now, how many of you, how many of you in this room are meat people? How many of you will eat anything on a stick? Yeah, okay, good, good. How many of you are fried food people? The elephant ears, the, the funnel cakes, yeah, okay, good, good. Now, how many of you, my personal weakness at the fair, ice cream. How many of you are ice cream people? And, and Krauss raised his hand on all three of those, so that's kind of to be expected. But I went to the Hamilton County Fair, and there were thousands of people milling around, and I was just amazed at the quantities of food. Now, personally, I ate all I wanted, and I had a strawberry shortcake with, with ice cream on it, and it was great, and I had a walking taco. You know, you get the little bag of Doritos and tear it open and put all the stuff in there, and we eat that, and, and I ate all I wanted to the point when I got home that night, I wasn't feeling so good, you know, but I ate all I wanted. And in this story, the story we're going to talk about today, which is commonly called the feeding of the 5,000, the amazing part of this story is the people ate all they wanted, and afterwards there were, five, there were 12 baskets left over. And um, this story is probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And in fact, um, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to go to church very long before you've heard about uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And it's in all four of the Gospels, which if you're new to the church thing, the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all four stories about Jesus's life told from different authors and different perspectives. And uh, so we could go to choose to go to any one of these accounts and look at this story. But this morning, I just want to start in the book of Matthew. Uh, the book of Matthew chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can open it to that. Uh, we'll have the story here on the side screens as well. But I want to look at this miracle. I chose to look at this one this morning for a couple reasons. One, I, I think it gives a clear picture of why Jesus performed miracles. Uh, we see throughout the New Testament, throughout Jesus's life, he's performing miracles as he goes throughout preaching the gospel. And uh, so I think this gives us a picture of a couple reasons. I think there are at least two reasons that I can find why Jesus even performed miracles. And then I want to take that one step further and say, as I always do whenever I read anything in the Bible, and say, so what? You know, so, so what does that mean to me? What is it, what, how does that apply to my life today? If, if Jesus did this for a reason, what am I supposed to do with that, right? Shouldn't we do that if we're looking through the Bible? So let's do that. Matthew 14, we'll start in chapter 13. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. 
We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them to me. Bring them here to me, he said. As he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. You know, this story is often called the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, in your Bible, it probably says above that, the feeding of the 5,000. But I want you to get a, a feel for the scope of this because it's actually much greater than that. The last line in that verse says, the number that were fed were 5,000 men along with their fam- wives and children, right? 5,000 men along with their families. And so if we just do some rudimentary math here, you, we, can, we can maybe assume that every man had a wife. Now, that's not true. I'm sure there were some bachelors that were just, you know, didn't have anything to do on a Saturday and were following Jesus through the countryside. So there were some guys, no football on. It was Saturday, it wasn't Sunday, or maybe it was the summer. I don't know. It doesn't say when it happened. So there were some bachelors maybe following this crowd. But a lot of the men had multiple wives, right? Two, three, four was not uncommon at this time. So let's just assume there's one wife for every husband. So that's 10,000 people right there. And then we're going to assume, because families often travel together, that they had their children with them. And, and many families had seven, eight, nine, ten children was not uncommon. So let's just do some conservative math and say there were three children for every family. And so that's a husband, a wife, and two children times, or three children times 5,000. So we're going to assume there were maybe twenty to 25,000 people in this crowd. This is a big crowd, okay? This is more than the Hamilton County Fair on one night. This is, it's Conseco Fieldhouse is full, Okay. Uh, not, not like a pacer game where you, there's seats everywhere, but like 20 to 25,000 people, Conseco Fieldhouse, and we have right there on the floor five loaves of bread from Panera and two fish. Now, we, we do know, we get, we get a picture in some of the Gospels, this is, this is probably barley loaves, this is probably peasant bread. We don't know a whole lot about it, but we can assume that, I think. We don't get a feel for what kind of fish these are. I've read a couple of different things. Some people think that it could be... Um, what's commonly called St. Peter fish, which is, uh, we know as tilapia. Those were farmed in the Middle East at this time. Um, and I've even heard one, one account say that they're probably sardines because there were sardine farms. So you can imagine uh, one of the accounts say that there were, there were a, a few small fish. You know? And so um, we can, it, it may be, I don't know, like, is it a whole fish, like with its head and everything's still on it? And it's like, I caught you a delicious bass, you know? And you're going to just like do a man versus wild and like rip into it and like, take a bite out of this fish? I don't know. It probably, maybe was smoked. I don't know. But there, it, in any account, I don't know why that matters, but you, you've got not very much food, right? Two fish and five loaves is like two filet of fish from McDonald's, basically, is what you're talking about here. And that's not enough to feed 20, 25,000 people, at least not enough so that everyone is satisfied. Would you agree? So there's, there's something here. There's, there's, there's a miracle that happens here. There's no doubt. And we tend to disbelieve that this actually could have happened, you know. But the, the crazy part about this is that this is recorded in all four Gospels. And so they're, they're clearly, at the time that these, these books were written, 50 to 100 years after this event, there clearly was still evidence. And I'll tell you why. There were twenty or 25,000 people that were there to see this, right? And, and kids that were there to see this event would have told their kids and they would have told their kids and it would have been generations and generations before the truth of this story died out. And so clearly there's something to this story about Jesus with, with five loaves of bread and two fishes feeding 25,000 people. Now, 
whenever I ask this, whenever I see something like this, as I said, I have to ask why. Why did Jesus perform this miracle? And I think there were two reasons. And the first one is written right here in the scripture. One says uh, Jesus had compassion for people. The Bible tells us that in this case, Jesus saw the people and had compassion, so he fed them. Now, time after time, we see this in cases where Jesus feeds people or he heals people and he, or he raises them from the dead, and it's often because he loves them. He feels for them. He has compassion for them. Jesus fed these people because he loved them. Jesus healed a leper at one point because he had compassion for that leper. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Bible tells us, because he loved Lazarus and he had compassion on his sisters. So what does this mean for you and me? Well, Jesus calls us to have compassion for people too. There's a time you may remember, if you've, if you've read much of the New Testament, where um, a teacher of the law comes up to Jesus and says, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus says, that's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is like that, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself, right? To, to love your neighbor as yourself. And a lot of us, and, and I'm, I'm going to point the finger at me, don't love our neighbor as ourself. We don't, we don't think about our neighbor like we think about ourselves. We don't spend money on our neighbor like we spend money on ourselves. And, and Jesus calls us to do that. And there's another time, and in, in, you can see the story in John chapter 21, where, where Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he appears to Peter who was uh, one of his 12 disciples. And, and if you remember the story, uh, Peter had, had denied Jesus three times right before he died. And Jesus appeared to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, of course, Lord, I love you. And, and Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, he, said, he could have said, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. Or, or if you love me, you'll, you'll read the Bible more. Or if you love me, you'll pray to me. But he said, if you love me, if you love me, feed my sheep. And then he said, Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter said, of course I love you, Lord. And he said, feed my sheep. And he did that three times. And so he was reinforcing the importance of feeding his sheep. Now, I don't know how much you know about Jesus, but he wasn't a shepherd. Jesus didn't really have sheep. He didn't take them over to the sheep barn at the county fair and show them. He's talking about his people, right? He's talking about taking care of his people. And so this idea of compassion is not just a feeling. It's not just feeling sorry for somebody or having sympathy for somebody or, or even feeling empathy for somebody, having compassion isn't the same thing. Compassion is much more than a feeling. In fact, compassion is passion moved to action. Okay, the word compassion, I think we've talked about this before, the very word compassion it can be broken down into two words. The, the, the root com, C-O-M, is, is together or with, and passion means suffer. And so the word compassion means to suffer with. So when we have compassion for someone, it suggests that we share our burdens with one another, right? If someone is hurting, we hurt with them. If someone is hungry, we're hungry with them. If someone is mourning and, and we have compassion on them, then we mourn with them. And I think this is important because in the book of Matthew, Jesus says that whatever you've done unto the least of these, you've done to me. Now, sometimes we think of the least of these as as a helpless baby, right? Or, or someone we see maybe on a World Vision commercial in a, in a third world country who doesn't have enough money to, to buy food. And it's easy for us to have compassion, isn't it? I mean, when we see a baby that, that can't fend for itself, it's easy to have compassion on that. When we see a poor child that, that there's not, not enough money in the, in, in, the, in the country or in his family to feed that child, it's easy to have compassion. But what if the least of these is the person standing at the intersection with the will work for food sign? that we don't know anything about. We don't know their circumstances. We don't know their heart. We don't know what got them there. But it's hard to have compassion on them sometimes, isn't it? What if, 
she is the annoying neighbor who just can't seem to get it all together, just can't seem to catch a break in life, and she wants to tell you all about it. If she's the least of these, it's hard to have compassion, isn't it? What if the least of these is the person right here in Noblesville who's lost his job and is struggling to pay his bills and has to go on food stamps to support his family? This is hard because my tendency, and it might be yours, but mine certainly, is, is to blame someone's choices when they're in those circumstances, right? You know, they, they're clearly there because they didn't get an education so they could get a good job so they could support their family. Or, or they're clearly there because they got addicted to drugs and if they wouldn't have made that choice, then they wouldn't have been there. Or, or maybe they lost their job because, you know, they, didn't, they never got to work on time anyway and, and I always saw them, they were goofing off and they took sick days when they shouldn't have taken sick days and, and their choices are what got them there. And that's my tendency a lot of times. And so we see, a, we see somebody with a will work for food sign and we roll up the window, right? Or we, we see a panhandler on the street and maybe if we're really feeling compassionate, we reach into our pocket and we've got a quarter and we kind of flip it at him because we don't want to actually talk to him when we walk by them. And so our idea of compassion is much different than Jesus's. But I think we can all admit that some people just have tough circumstances, right? I mean, can you admit that this morning, that, that a baby born to a crack-addicted mother didn't have much of a chance with a start in life, right? Or, or a, a kid that grows up in a neighborhood where the only way he can protect himself and keep himself from getting beat up is to join a gang, probably didn't have a lot of choices in life, right? Or a girl who has to quit school because her parents had so many kids that they can't support the whole family and she has to quit school and take care of the kids, probably had a lot worse circumstances than we did, right? And, and this is where it gets really hard. Because if we're willing to accept that some people got a bad break in life, then it follows, it's logical, that maybe some people got a good break in life. And we don't want to admit that, do we? Because I know for me, again, my tendency, and I'm just laying it all out for you, I'm being completely transparent, my tendency is to say, I worked hard for what I have. I mean, I go to work, I was going to school, I, I, I did all the right things. I bust my hump to support my family, and they're not doing it. And so my tendency is to say that luck, circumstances, had nothing to do with my success. But the truth is, the parents you have, the house you were born in, into, the town you grew up in, even the fact that you were able to be born in this country or to live in this country where there's so much chance of success has a lot to do with your ability to succeed in life, as hard as it is to admit. And so when we think about having compassion on people, we need to accept that maybe some people are in a worse situation than we are because their circumstances were worse than ours. Maybe some people are in a worse situation than we are because our circumstances were better than theirs to start with. Maybe they didn't have all the chances we did. So let's talk about circumstances for a minute. This year it's estimated that 35 million Americans will go to bed hungry at least part of the year. 35 million Americans, that's one in eight. Out of those, 10 million are children. 10 million hungry children in the wealthiest country in the history of civilization as the church. That should be unacceptable to us. Would you agree? Sometime this year, at least one million people will be homeless somewhere in America. 36% of the homeless at any one time are families with children. And some of them are right here in Hamilton County. That's unacceptable. Over one billion people in the world live on less than a dollar a day. A dollar a day. We can't even imagine what that's like in our country. 
More than 150 million children are severely affected by waterborne parasites because the water they have to drink isn't safe. 150 million children. That's more children than the entire United States of America. And the World Bank estimates that it would cost about $10 billion to solve the water problem. So to give fresh, clean, safe drinking water to every child in the world. Now, I, I don't have $10 billion. And I'm guessing that if you're sitting here today, that you probably don't have $10 billion either. But let me give you a sense for the scope of that. $10 billion seems like a lot to me. But uh, it's about half of what we spend on DVD rentals and sales every year. We spend $20 billion on DVDs. $10 billion buys water for everyone in the world. So I, I look at these things and the, these circumstances that people are in, and I think, why should I have so much? You know, what, why is it fair that I should have a retirement account when some people aren't feeding their kids today? Why is it fair? What is it about my life that makes me so much more important that I can have a lot of stuff and some people have nothing? I think the key to answering this question, we need to look in, in the book of Job, Job 33, 6. I love this verse. It says, look, you and I both belong to God. I, too, was formed from clay. We need to realize that all of us are made from the same stuff, created in God's image. The creator of the universe made every one of us for a purpose, whether we're here in this country or another country, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're black or white. And when we ignore people or when we disregard justice or when we, we the church, let people go hungry, we're not loving our neighbor as ourselves, and we are closing our eyes to God's creation. So if you want to know what God wants from us, look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 58, 6. This is what, this is what uh, the prophet Isaiah had to say about God's want. This is the kind of fast day I'm after. So if, if we're going to fast, if you're going to fast, this is the kind of fast day I'm ever after. To break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is this, sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Ow, that hurts, doesn't it? Do this, and the lights will turn on, and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way, and the God of glory will secure your passage. What will we do because we have compassion on people? Jesus performed miracles because he had compassion on people. So what will we do? What will the church do to follow in his footsteps? That's what I'm going to ask you this morning. What are we going to do? But I think there's more to this story. Jesus had compassion on people, yes, but... but there's another reason he performed miracles as well. After all, he could have just as easily sent these people home, right? He could have said, um, okay, you know what? Uh, the preaching's done for the day. There's going to be people up here in front if you need to talk to anybody, but uh, you're dismissed. You can go home and eat lunch, right? Or, um, you know, he could have said, um, he could have given them money. He could have said, there's a, there's a Logan's and a Chili's right, right across the street. You can go over there and, and have your lunch, and uh, we'll see you back here after a while, right? But, but can you imagine... Can you imagine just being one of the disciples here? Just, just imagine this. Close your eyes and imagine this for a minute. Okay, you're one of the disciples, and, and, and <laughs> you're like, Jesus, we need to send these people away to get something to eat. You, you, want, you want me me to feed them? Feed them what? Feed them this. Should I use all of it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then you like start handing it out, and you're like, okay. Wow, you know, this stuff keeps multiplying and, and you're handing this thing out. And all of a sudden, as a disciple who hasn't really followed Jesus for very long, you're starting to see something. You're starting to see, 
maybe there's something to this guy, right? Maybe there's something to this, this whole thing. And I, I think that the second reason that Jesus performed miracles like he did was he wanted people to get a glimpse of God's glory. Look at Psalm 11, four, or 111.4. It says, He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. So yes, he's compassionate, but he does this because he wants his wonders to be remembered, right? He, he, he thinks that when people see his wonders, it draws them to him, right? If, if you're a disciple and you see this food multiplying before your eyes as you're passing it out to people, your eyes are as big as saucers, right? And you're thinking, this God is powerful. This God is amazing. This God is glorious. And, and, and look, at I love this, this description from the book of John of this miracle in John 6. This, this is the same story, but in the book of John, it says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? I love this. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He already knew. See, he already knew that people were going to see God's glory through what was happening here. He knew that by passing out this bread and this fish, that people were going to see God's glory. And, and, and look at what happens in John 6, 14. It said, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. People started following him. People saw the miracle, they saw the glory of God, and this is what happens when people see God's glory displayed in a real and relevant way. They want it. They thirst for it. They have to be a part of what's happening. And the multitudes on the hillside 2,000 years ago are no different than the people in this neighborhood now. If we can somehow give people a glimpse of God's glory through our actions, it makes it easy for us to help people find their way back to God, which is the mission of this church, right? I mean, if churches were active and engaged in nothing more than using our time, talent, and treasure to help people catch a glimpse of God, then people would flock to the church by the millions all we would need to do is have compassion for people and help them see God's glory. And so, I ask for your forgiveness for a minute because this might get ugly. Why is it then that Christians are known more by what we stand against than what we stand for? The entire church, the church universal, needs to spend more of its time and talent and treasure on spreading God's glory to every corner of the globe we spend more time talking about and worrying about who we should vote for than we do about getting rid of injustice. And I'm not saying that who we vote for is not important because I believe that it is. But think about the time we spend, the, the energy we spend. We spend more energy picketing abortion clinics than we do talking to young people about the consequences of their choices. And we spend more money on fancy restaurants and entertainment and vacations than we do feeding the poor. And I'm not pointing the fingers at, finger at you because I am guilty. But our church, Genesis Church, has a chance to step up and show people what the love of Christ looks like. What if this neighborhood, just this neighborhood right here in Noblesville, or this county, looked at what was going on here and saw a community of people living sacrificially? What if Genesis Church looked different than the whole rest of the world? Would people be attracted to that? I think they would. I mean, think how this place would look if we all did our little part to make God's glory known throughout this community and throughout the world. Think how many classrooms we'd have to build over here in this empty space to house the kids that were coming with families because people saw something different here at Genesis. People saw a glimpse of God's glory here at Genesis Church. Think, close your eyes and imagine what would happen if we had to rent this space right behind here because we didn't have enough space to have, this, to have church services here on Sunday morning. What would that look like? It sits empty right now. It's just got some furniture in it. It is available. 
I mean, if we had people flock into this church and we needed to rent that, how cool would that be? Think of what it could look like if we had to buy this building because so many people were coming to Christ that the West End just couldn't contain us anymore. Think about what would happen in the kingdom of God if we had to buy the fairgrounds across the street and every Sunday look just like it does this Sunday, except without the animals. Because people saw what was happening in the kingdom of God and it was different and it was relevant and we were meeting people's needs. And not to us, not to our name, not to Genesis Church name be the glory, but to God's name be the glory. To his kingdom would be multiplied and we wouldn't be famous, but he would be made famous. How cool would that be? That'd be great, wouldn't it? We might be thinking right now, that sounds real great, Steve, but I, I can't really show God's glory. I mean, I don't have... I don't have a whole lot. I don't have what it takes. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know how to, I, I don't know what I can do. I, I mean, I'm struggling to make ends meet. I'm struggling to keep my family afloat. But the key is that God's glory is big and bright. You know, we, we talked about, Paul talked about a, a story from Exodus uh, chapter 33 a couple weeks ago where, where Moses, before he died, wanted to see God's glory. And, and God said, I will show you my glory, but here's what you have to do. You have to go hide behind this rock that's got a cleft in it. You've got to hide behind this rock, and you have to turn around. And I will walk by you, and as I walk by, you can, you can take a look at the tail end, at the backside of my glory. God mooning Moses right there in the book of Exodus. You can look at the back of my glory and glimpse at it because no man can see my face. His glory is so bright that no man can see his face. And then there's another time where, where Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and meets with God, and he comes down, and he's like glowing. His face is radiant, the Bible says. It's like there's, there's light shooting out of his face because he's seen God's glory. And people look at and Moses has to put a veil over his head because he's seen God's glory, and it's so bright that the people can't stand to look at him. And so it doesn't take a whole lot of us to show people God's glory. In fact, St. Francis of Assisi, I think, said it best when he said, tell everyone you know about Jesus, use words if you have to. Paul said it like this, if you think you don't have a whole lot, in Ephesians 3, Paul said, this is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people that had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. But God saw to it that I was equipped. But you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. And so here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. I love the humility in Paul's words here. I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. How many of you feel like the least qualified of any of the available Christians? I'm raising my hand. But more than that, I love the power and compassion and the humor of God to take someone who's unqualified, call them to a piece of ministry, and then qualify them. Can I just say that that goes completely counter to what we do in the church a lot of times? I mean, even in this church, when, before you decide to serve, we kind of want to see what your gifts and your, your passions and your abilities are. <laughs> but so often we look for what we're good at and then decide where to serve in some area that requires our strength. But what if, though, what if we decided to listen to God's call for our lives and then turned ourselves off so that God could work in us and qualify us for what he's called us to do? In other words, what if we were so obedient to his voice that we followed him no matter where he led us? 
and he allowed him to gift us with the abilities required to fulfill his calling. I, I, I've heard it said like this, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. What if we were to listen to that call and let God qualify us? How powerful could the church be for Christ if everyone's primary objective were to listen to God? Unless you still think you have nothing to give, I want to turn your eyes to one more verse from this story, back to the story of the feeding of the multitude from John 6, 8. This is the only place we see this, but it's where the, where the bread and the fish come from. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? This morning, there's a chance that there's something stirring inside you that, that maybe you've been a Christ follower for a long time and, and you're tired of your faith sitting on the couch, but you think, I don't know where to start. I mean, I want to do something with this. I want, to, I want to make a difference in the kingdom. I want to make a difference in the world, but I don't know where to start. But maybe you've got five loaves and two small fish, and you just want to put that out on the table and let Jesus multiply it and do what he will with it. Or maybe you're new to this whole Christian thing, and, and you're not really, you haven't really been part of a church, and, and this is the first church you've been involved with, and, and you don't really know what it means even to follow Jesus yet, but, you, but yet you feel this, this hunger inside of you, this that you know that there's something more to being a Christ follower than sitting in these chairs on Sunday mornings. And you want to make a difference. And all you've got is five loaves and two fish. And our tendency is to, is to hoard that for ourselves, isn't it? It's to say, well, I need that because I, I need to use that for my, for my job or I need to use that for my family or I need to save that for whatever I'm saving it for. But what if you were to, to put that on the table? What if all of us as a church were to take our five loaves and our two fishes and put it out on the table and just turn it over to God and let him multiply it and do with it what he will? What would this place look like? Well, we've got two opportunities in the next two weeks, next week, really, to, to make a difference uh, at Genesis Church. The first one is, is uh, Faith, Hope, and Love, and um, we're going to see a video about that here in a couple minutes, but Faith, Hope, and Love is an initiative. It's, it's a not-for-profit organization, but they have an initiative called One Neighborhood, One Week every year, and we did this last year. Genesis participated in this last year in Noblesville, and we're going to do it again this year in Noblesville, and, and it's this week, um, every day this week. People will be meeting at different churches to do a little worship in the morning and then go out into the neighborhood and make a difference in somebody's life who can't do it on their own. We'll be, we'll be fixing houses, fixing fences, um, beautifying gardens, and doing all kinds of things just to make neighborhoods look better and to show people God's glory. And the day that, that I want you to be aware of is Wednesday. This Wednesday, which is July 22nd, um, Genesis Church is the host church. And I've just felt this week a, a very strong call in my heart I, I feel like God is telling me that we have to have 50 people from Genesis Church show up here Wednesday morning. 50 people. We need 50 people. We have about 300 people that attend Genesis Church on a regular basis. And we need about 50 people here Wednesday morning. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to register. You can just show up Wednesday morning. The cost is $10 to participate for the whole day, and it's right here in Noblesville. And, and if, if any of you have ever thought about taking a mission trip, <clears throat> let me just tell you, you won't ever get a mission trip with one vacation day and $10. There's no other way you can do this. But for 10 bucks, which is not even enough to buy five loaves and two fishes, you have a chance to make a difference in this community, in Noblesville, Indiana, and to show people God's glory and to take that compassion, to take your passion and put it into action through compassion. There's another opportunity next week that I want you to know about. Next Sunday on this very stage, a, a gentleman by the name of Esperon Dupierre will be here from Haiti from a, a, mis a mission called Nehemiah Vision Ministries. And Nehemiah Vision Ministries is based in Haiti, and they uh, have built schools for kids who, uh, who wouldn't get to eat if they didn't come to school. They wouldn't go to school, and they wouldn't get to eat. 
And, uh, and he's also built now, they're in the midst of, I think, building a church on the same site so that on Sunday they can come into their church. And, and Esperanto will be here. It'll be a powerful story for you to hear. But next week there'll be an opportunity for you to sign up to sponsor children in Haiti, and it costs $40 a month. And uh, it's a great investment. $40 a month, you get to help a child eat that wouldn't get to eat otherwise. You get a, um, an opportunity to send gifts to your child down there. We've done that before. We send a little box of supplies of, of stickers and toys and things. And it's so cool. You, you get a picture of this little child in Haiti that doesn't have any toys. And they get a little box of toys. And, and you get a picture with their smiling face and your little box of toys. And um, what a cool opportunity just to make a difference in somebody's life. And to put our passion into action and just return a little bit of the love that Jesus has shown to us to other people that wouldn't get it some other way. And so I think that's our choice this morning. We can sit here and, and love God and worship and, and do all the things that we, we think we're called to do, or we can go out in the community and make a difference. So what's it going to be, Genesis? It's our time to move. you pray with me? Father, I just thank you um, that you brought your word this morning and that, um, that you died for us and, uh, and so that we could be saved. And, and Lord, I just pray this morning that, uh, that we understand and know that you didn't die so that we can sit here in church and listen to some good music and to hear people talk and um, then go home and go on with our lives Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, that, that you want us to move and put our passion into action. And so over the next few minutes, would you just stir in our hearts and... Um, uh, just incite us to, to do something, just to do something to show people your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.